Buongiorno everybody and welcome! This is Identity Unlocked and I'm your host, Vittorio Bertocci. Identity Unlocked is the podcast that discusses identity specifications and trends from a developer perspective. Identity Unlocked is powered by OfZero in partnership with the OpenID Foundation and ID Pro. In this episode, we discuss multi-device credentials, an upcoming FIDO feature that can possibly, finally, be a viable alternative to passwords for consumer-grade applications. And to do that, I have two fantastic guests today. I have Andrew Shaker, Executive Director of the FIDO Alliance, and a returning guest, Tim Capali, Identity Standards Architect with the Microsoft Identity Team, and one of the main folks working on those new use cases and updates. Welcome, guys. Thank you so much for being here. Vittorio, thanks for having us. Hey, Vittorio. Thanks. Thank you for being here. We already heard the team's story during the CAP SSC episode in season... Ah, what season was that? I don't remember. Anyway, we'll add the link. But this is the first time that we have a pleasure to host Andrew. Andrew, it's tradition for the Identity Unlocked show that the guest starts the episode sharing their story of how they ended up working in identity. And it's always an interesting story, and I'm sure yours would be no exception. So how did you happen to work in identity? Yeah, so it's, it's interesting. I, I guess you know, I don't want to date myself, but I think I was doing identity before identity was, was cool. Way back when, I worked at Sun Microsystems in the mid-90s. The Java team, I left there to pursue startup riches. And once those didn't materialize, I was recruited back to Sun to help launch the Liberty Alliance back in 2001. Wow. For those not familiar, yeah, Liberty Alliance was the standardization effort, um, the first standardization effort around federated identity. And it was actually launched as a counterpoint to what Microsoft was doing at the time with Passport and Hailstorm, which is you know, centralizing identity through that system. I remember. I know you do. I know you do. So um, it was interesting. You know, that whole experience was fascinating. And I'd done some alliance work before that. But so a lot of my initial work was actually recruiting the initial participants uh, for Liberty Alliance. And, you know, it's really a great opportunity at an earlier stage in my life, frankly, to work with some brilliant people who have been able to reconnect with since then, like Eve Mailer and Jeff Hodges and, you know, many others. And that, that Sun team was really dynamic. But you know, after we got Liberty up and running, my focus pivoted towards Sun's go-to-market efforts with their you know, very nascent identity team. And that job basically entailed working to educate Sun's Salesforce on not only how to sell software, but that comprised basically going around the world and talking to you know C-suites at Fortune 50 companies about this concept of identity. As a reminder, this is 2001. And so I, I still recall my slides and the opening slide and of course, this was not PowerPoint. This was open office because it was done. Open office. It started with the question, what is identity? Uh-huh. Right? Single thing. And then what does identity mean for your business? What does identity mean for your employees? What does identity mean for your customers? And we'd have these very high level conversations with CEOs, CTOs, CFOs of very large corporations. And they hadn't thought about identity outside of like their brand identity. It was a brand new concept at the time. And I think about that often now. 21 years later. And I personally actually stepped out of the identity space for several years from around 2007 to around 2016 when I came back to FIDO Alliance. What's amazing to me, by and large, we're still having the same conversations that we had in 2001. 
you know, what is identity? Now, look, in some ways, we've made a ton of progress, right? So obviously, identities, you know, come together as an industry. It's a multi-billion dollar industry. So much innovation happening. So much progress is being made. But in some areas, you know, we're still kind of kicking the tire on some of these concepts, and they haven't seen as much progress. So it's been, you know, nice to be back in identity, coming full circle in my career over the past several years, helping lead Fido Alliance, um, reconnecting with a lot of old identity friends and, and helping, you know, working together uh, to drive a lot of these concepts into market. Fantastic. Thank you for sharing your trajectory. And uh, I, I didn't know, and it makes complete sense. Like, uh, I can see how uh, being exposed to all the challenges that you have with Liberty Alliance, which had a common enemy, so uh, you could rally the troops, but at the same time, Again, like lots of different people with different opinions. So I can see it was a formative experience that prepared you to be so incredibly effective as you have been uh, at the head of uh, Father Alliance, which is uh, one of the smashing success of our times, I believe. And also, like we think earlier, you said uh, identity today is cool. <sighs> I wish it would be true. <laughs> identity today is at least profitable. Like there is money to be made in this space. Whether it's cool or not, I'm not sure. But anyway, I'll take your word for it. Thanks again. It's, uh, you absolutely did not disappoint. This was a great story. And now let's thrust ourselves straight into the core of the episode. So we know what we want to talk about, that famous feature that we won't name yet. But before we go there, uh, not everyone in our audience uh, heard the episode about Webofen with John Bradley. So can you guys give me a refresher of what the FIDO is and what, in particular what Webofen is and what it does for developers? Yeah, so why don't I start there, kind of gives kind of a high-level background on FIDO Alliance and what, what we're trying to do. And for many of you, this will be familiar. For some of you, it might not be. Um, so you know, FIDO Alliance itself was launched around almost 10 years ago with the aim of actually reducing data breaches, right? And the best way to get rid of data breaches is to attack the password problems. Uh, passwords are at the root of over 80% of data breaches. And so that's the tip of the spear, and that's what we're focused on doing. Fundamentally, what FIDO does is deploy user-friendly, asymmetric public key cryptography. Um, that's a mouthful and an earful. But basically what it does, it replaces the concept of a password with a, a key pair. It introduces the concept of an authenticator. The authenticator holds a private key um, that the user must verify herself to. And then instead of a password on the server, it's a public key. At a high level, that's what we're doing. That concept in and of itself is not new. Like PKI's been around for years. Um, smart card's been around for years. But FIDO's tagline is simpler, stronger authentication. And both those words are absolutely critical, right? The strength has always been there. But the simplicity has not always been there, right? So the average person shouldn't have to be able to say, let alone understand, what asymmetric public key cryptography means in order to use it. And so it's user-friendly. We like to say it's single gesture public key cryptography in the sense that it's a biometric, it's a touch with security key, whatever it might be. It's a very user-friendly approach to doing this. And that's critical for multi-factor authentication to take off, right? There's a long history of... MFA products that are too complex to scale, both for consumers, also in the enterprise. You know, very interestingly, recently, the U.S. government, as part of the Zero Trust Strategy, OMB, Office of Management and Budget, specified that as part of the Zero Trust Strategy, agencies must deploy unfishable user authentication, not just PIV and CAC, which they have been doing for years, but also now FIDO security keys. All right, security keys are much easier and quicker to deploy 
and provide the same level of unfishability with a higher level of usability. So I think that's a very powerful proof point in the enterprise too, where usability and simplicity uh, comes to the fore. Absolutely. Like, and the thing that I believe is the secret sauce that you guys deployed is that uh, although those ideas aren't new, while they remain ideas, they are not very consequential. And what you guys successfully did, which never ceases to impress me, is to go to all the relevant places, all the relevant players, and had them implement this thing so that you actually made it possible for the end user to tap into those capabilities without having to do like uh, installations and being aware. Like uh, I, we all remember PGP, which I think is still around. And it's basically same principle, same laws of physics, but uh, arcane and obscure for normal person. Whereas uh, by the fact that you worked with all the big names in operating systems, browsers, hardware, and similar, you actually made it approachable to everyone. And in particular to developers. Tim, do you want to add something about what this meant for developers? Yeah, I, th I think the nice thing, right, is that it, what I call the FIDO2 stack or, or the spec family, right, it ultimately there's two different audiences, right? For, for the most part, the average developer that is responsible for sign-in on a, on a relying party or a resource, right? They don't, they don't have to worry about all the plumbing to get to an authenticator, like whether that's USB, NFC, Bluetooth, or even the platform. That's handled in a spec that is specifically targeted towards that group, and that's the client-to-authenticator protocol spec, so CTAP. A lot of people sometimes call that the FIDO2 spec, just a little <laughs> little um, mixing of terms. But ultimately, FIDO2, there's WebAuthn and CTAP. Those are the two specs that kind of make up the family. And WebAuthn is that browser API, the JavaScript API, that is what interfaces with developers. And we're starting to actually see a point where developers don't maybe don't even have to really be too aware of WebAuthn and all its innards because there's some really amazing SDKs out there. So we're just seeing you know, significant support across SDKs, relying parties, SaaS services, et cetera, for this as a, as a kind of um, an overlay to kind of what would be perceived as complexity if someone picked up a spec, right? No one wants to read a spec. Uh, even the people who write the spec don't want to read a spec, right? Yeah, oh, absolutely. <laughs> I relate 400%. But so great that developers don't need to be exposed to nitty-gritty details, but there are still some things at a higher level that people need to reckon with. Like in particular, I'm thinking of the requirements that end up being on the end users. Like the... The top two things that come to mind are like the two authenticators that come out of the box. Like you mentioned, like roaming authenticators and platform authenticators. Can you add a bit of color of uh, what those are and what they mean in terms of usability of a system? Sure. Yeah. The, 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 the pattern that evolved between roaming authenticators and platform authenticators is that, you know, a... You, a roaming authenticator being like generally a USB thing you attach to your keychain, but most of the time it has some other protocol like NFC plus USB is a very popular combo because of mobile devices. And really that became your kind of bootstrapping key, right? So the first time I wanted to sign into a resource on my new device, whether that was a laptop, tablet, or phone, you know, you obviously can't use the authenticator that's built into that device because it's, it's fresh, it's factory reset. So the idea was that the roaming authenticator could become the bootstrapping mechanism. And the first time you use that, you know, the, the relying party or the application you're accessing could take you through a step of enrolling. We, we call this the trusted device model, right? So now that you've bootstrapped, now you can actually use that local device from then on out, right? And that, that's a super seamless pattern. Most users are familiar with the screen lock concept, and that's ultimately what the user experiences is 
their screen lock to unlock other applications. And that's that that is, I think, what is the most fluid an amazing experience for users, right? We we hear users all the time just calling this, you know, Windows Hello or Touch ID or Face ID, not even understanding all the technology behind it, but it's just what they're used to when they're doing their daily operation of their 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 device. So it it just flows right in and becomes magical to the user. So the the thing that you described is the platform authenticator, as in uh, the thing Correct. in the device. Correct. Perfect. Whereas uh, when uh, you mentioned the roaming, instead we are talking just to be concrete. Uh, the classic YubiKey that uh, people use for accessing their GitHub uh, and uh, similar experiences, right? Right, something you can unplug or detach or remove from the back of, right? Phys- and, physically remove from the device. Yeah. Right, and one, I have, I have uh, a few because, of course, through the years. But <laughs> the one that I love is one that has USB-C on one side and lighting on the other. And mm-hmm. I can use it both with my uh, Surface, with my <laughs> Mac and with my iPhone. So that's really nice. But so those things clearly raised the security level uh, to to like a now acceptable level. It's like those are unfishable. They're like cryptographically very solid. Uh, so great, fantastic. But now tell me more, any of you, uh, about uh, adoption of this, both in the business world and also Let's talk about the consumer grade applications adoption as well. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll start. Um, you know, it's interesting this the, the little dialogue that you all just had about WebAuthn and, and PGP and, and you know the challenge that FIDO has faced, or really any new technology faces. Um, if you think about what FIDO was trying to do with our specs, it's a pretty audacious goal to replace passwords, and also for the same by the same matter, SMS OTP. Right, so that's a bigger story to talk about. Actually, is we're trying to get rid of legacy credentialing, knowledge-based credentialing in general, and move to this possession-based approach that we're talking about. Possession-based authentication is not susceptible to remote attacks, to phishing, and all the things that are causing all the problems we see today. But to get to that point, to be able to replace passwords, no TPs, knowledge-based credentials, we need to take on their competitive advantage, which is ubiquity. Right? The thing about passwords or SMS OTP, anyone can do it. Like It's not great to enter a password on a smart TV, but you can do it. It's not great to do an SMS OTP on a feature phone, but it works also. And so that's why WebAuthn has been so important and why the FIDO2 support and platforms has been so important. Um, and all that's happened over the past couple of years to the point where now virtually every modern web browser, every modern device does have FIDO support built into it, which has set the stage for adoption, which gets back to your question, Vittorio, who's using this? And I think that if you look at different use cases, we're seeing different patterns of use, right? So there's very broad support in the enterprise. I've seen projections from uh, Gartner, for example, who says that 2022 is the year that more enterprises are going to start deploying FIDO authentication and passwords authentication to their employees. Right? So we're seeing that take up you know, across the board. Uh, Microsoft has built FIDO support extensively into all of its platforms, which allows businesses to more rapidly deploy FIDO authentication, as other companies have as well. Basically, every identity stack today supports this, which has set the stage for large enterprise implementations. On the consumer side, we're seeing good progress as well, right? So WebAuthn, as Tim was saying, basically allows any web developer to do the advanced cryptography that they couldn't do otherwise. Most web developers just want to focus on their domain, build the site, build the functionality. The last thing they want to think about is authentication, which is why so many historically have defaulted to passwords or maybe SMS OTP. But WebAuthn now presents them with a public you know, API. And there's, as Tim says, there's a lot of SDKs out there, web frameworks out there 
that developers can use to actually implement advanced cryptography instead of passwords. So we've seen companies like you know, eBay is a, is a famous example. They kind of rolled their own implementation of FIDO, you know, working off of WebAuthn specs, allowing anyone now to log in without a password. Um, we see, you know, uh, the U.S. government with login.gov uh, supporting this. A lot of government sites support it. A lot of banking sites support FIDO authentication. Um, so we've seen what I would categorize as really strong initial adoption um, of FIDO for the masses. Now, that being said, we have a long ways to go. And what's interesting to me from my perspective, you know, I talk to companies on a frequent basis about their FIDO deployment plans and have been over the past couple of years. The conversation generally has gone from what is FIDO and why should I do this to like, okay, how do I do it? And the number one question about how do I do it comes back to usability, right? And it goes, and then like, so yes, FIDO, we're hitting our goal of simpler, stronger authentication, but I don't think it's quite simple enough for, you know, for the adoption takeoff like we wanted to. So we realized that we need to address usability. Um, so we've done a couple of things in the enterprise inside of FIDO Alliance to do this. One is we actually release UX guidelines for how to deploy FIDO to platform authenticators. But beyond that, more work needs to be done. And we're excited about the kind of the next phase of innovation um, around FIDO authenticators. Tim, do you want to add something? Yeah, I, th I think one of the... One of the, the challenges that I think we set out to, to start looking at is all, many of the deployments that are out there today, you know, eBay, GitHub, they're all fantastic deployments, but you still need a password, right? You can't, they still have to capture a password to make the solution work. And it, it's been a, it's a, it's a journey, right? That, you know, the, this kind of first step was you still need a password, but you're going to use a second factor either from a YubiKey or, or a security key, and then you enroll the platform. But we still had that password in the database. You still the users still need to know it or have it in their password manager. So the next step is how do we how do we get to a world which I think we're going to see very shortly now, where developers never have to capture a password in the first place. The password field disappears from a account creation flow, and that that is like we can to me that is when we claim amazing monumental success when there's no longer password fields on a, on a, and nor magic links or any of the other things people yeah. do to not acquire a password. Right? Like, <laughs> if, these are, if I can be a bit autobiographic at the last Authenticate, I actually had the honor to get on stage and show some of the adoption data. You know, like we polled our users and it was very clear that people were just uncomfortable with completely, uh, letting go and i think for for good reason because at the state of technology today the moment in which you like say that you want to use a platform authenticator and i play you place it on your iphone and then you forget your iphone on the uber and then now what's going to happen okay you you do need some mechanism for recovery which uh we so far we didn't have but i think that here that's where we start talking about recent history and I know that uh, a number of important manufacturers looked at what Fido had to offer, looked at the uh, usability challenges, and uh, um, found uh, plotted a path forward that they thought would solve those. So, can you tell me a bit uh, about uh, about that? What's ha what happened? Right. Yeah. I mean, one of the things, right? I think I think us all being technologists, right? We have no problem carrying a security key on our keychain, right? But the reality is, the world is moving away from having a keychain at all, right? In the past two years, we've seen car keys, apartment keys, dorm room keys. Everything is moving onto to a phone or, or a similar device. And so, to, to ask consumers to go have this little USB thing on their 
on their keyring just to access their basic consumer services. That, that's just there, there's there's no way we would get to that point, right? And and that the, the numbers show that, right? And that that has been in you know in our opinion one of the highest barriers to entry for this, um, just from a from both a usability standpoint and a cost standpoint, right? From a inclusivity around the world, right? Not everyone can go out and buy even a thirty US dollar piece of hardware. So if we start looking at what could we do to take advantage of the seven to eight billion smartphones that are in people's pockets that are capable of doing something, Microsoft, Google, and Apple, together with the Fight Alliance, came together and started to look at, can we take advantage of those devices? And we realized early on, absolutely yes. Like we, we already we already had an idea of how we could use your phone to, you know, my Android phone could side into Windows and, you know, vice versa through all these ecosystems, which have traditionally been very siloed, right? Generally, these things don't work well together, right? That's That's been one of the problems. Um, but we realized that wasn't really the problem. The problem was exactly what you described, Vittorio. I lose my phone. I lose my Android phone, my iPhone. I don't have a backup. I can't, uh, you know, there there's no possible way for me to transfer something between devices because I don't have the original device. Um, and that's where we kind of reached, you know, shifted the focus to how do we make uh, recovery and, and how do we make this a true usable solution, uh, more akin, closer to a password manager, right? There, the password manager experience, as much as it is passwords, um, the user experience is, is is fantastic, and it works, right? You, the user just signs in again on another device, and everything is there, and everything just works. So that was kind of the the thinking, you know was Apple really led the charge on, on that thinking of this password manager-like experience for this next generation of credential. And that's how we landed on what we're calling in the specs, multi-device credentials, and what we're more casually calling for consumers, pass keys, right? Password, pass key, fun little take, and that we hope catches on, right? We think it will. We've already heard people talk about it even in the early days. The idea here being that for the lower security use cases, which are not necessarily enterprise use cases, can we have this idea that the platform can help the user both ensure their credentials are on their devices when they need them, but also help the user select the credential when they need to use it, right? So if we, if we break those out into two, let's start with the first one. The first is ensuring that if I leave my phone in the car and I go get a new phone, after I've securely proven who I am to log into the platform services, right, which are some of the user's most critical things, right? Google Photos, iCloud Photos, these are like people's lives run on these things. After they've gone through that strong process that exists today, is there a process to then restore a set of keys, these WebAuthn credentials, these multi-device credentials onto that device so they can pick up where they left off and continue on with their day? And you know, the, this, this worry about not having access to your account goes away. And we, we came to the conclusion, yes, that was possible. And um, the platforms today, they already have incredible security, right? There's, there's, there's platform documentation, you know, that you can read for days that talks about all these security mechanisms in place, and it, it was perfectly suited to solve this problem. And so, thinking about, you know, the recovery standpoint, you also gain some usability, right? If I have multiple devices in the same ecosystem, so let's say I have a tablet and a phone and a laptop from the same company, and I'm signed into the same account, well, now it just magically works across all my devices as well, just like a password manager, right? And so. You know, our, our, you know, the initial reaction is often like, well, what about the security of all this, right? And we really started to map out on a security spectrum. If we went all the way to the left with what I call like one, and we go all the way to the right, which is two, Le on the left-hand side, you have passwords. Let's call it 1.1, you have password plus OTP, right? Because developers have been told for, for years now, passwords are fishable, and adding an OTP adds another layer that makes it a little bit less 
bad, right? Like, and but that's painful, right? Users hate that, right? The user thinks they're logged in after they put their password in. Now they have to do this other step, and it's awful. It's miserable. Um, and then you look all the way to the right hand side, and you have FIDO2 security keys with hardware backing and all, all the things that make security keys amazing for a ton of use cases, as well as some platform capabilities that are heavily geared towards enterprise. Like Windows Hello is one example where the, you know there's a TPM and there's like these very rigid enterprise requirements, which are fantastic for those use cases, but there's nothing in the middle here, right? And that's what we were trying to solve. So we want to solve for the 1.5, which is this multi-device credential model where a developer that has rolled out password plus OTP could drop this in and think nothing, right? There, there, there's, that is instantly better because it is cryptographically bound and phishing resistant. So uh, fantastic. Like uh, you, uh, you went uh, in a whirlwind tour and you placed so many things uh, on the stove. So let me take a step back and try to see if I followed. So you mentioned how like, we can meet this challenge of like uh, the recover and you mentioned uh, extra advantages in usability as in using the same credentials across devices. Fantastic. So let me be concrete. Uh, are you saying that uh, now I can have uh, a, a key that behaves like a FIDO key that uh, instead of being uh, either relegated to a piece of uh, dedicated hardware like a key or relegated to one particular device, uh, as it would be the case with uh, roaming and platform authenticator, respectively. But instead, you have a key that is uh, shared across a family of devices, like all my iDevices. I have my Mac, I have my iPhone, and my iPad. And uh, now, once I use this key with a certain relying party from my iPhone, and then I land on the same website from my Mac, then... I can use the same key? Correct, yeah. And this is, this is magic. So, great. So, the, this thing, uh, I'm guessing, like, uh, like uh, some of this magic already happens. Like, uh, I just recently bought a new iPhone because I take too many pictures. I needed a bigger one. And I did my migration, which works pretty smoothly. And as part of that migration, I was asked to sign in again. And iCloud brought back almost all of my sessions, so I didn't have to re-authenticate in my new phone. Are you saying that now FIDO keys have this superpower as well? Right, they can be enlightened through those existing services that exist with the potential to even have a higher level of security for that specific thing, right? Like photos are one thing, credentials are another thing, right? There are protections in place, which you can go to certain vendors' websites and actually get a very deep dive into how this works, but it's not just access to the account, right? You need another piece of information. You need, let's say, your old device's PIN, right? It's having access to just your Apple ID or your Microsoft account or your Google account is not going to be enough to, to gain access to this. And that's a super important detail because it does differ from access to your photos or restoring your apps. It's a different security model with a whole different set of properties. But this is a manif- vendor-specific. Let's say that uh, Apple has a discretion to do it in a way. Google might do it in a slightly different ways. Microsoft might do it in a slightly different Okay, perfect. This is great. Andrew, do you want to comment on uh, how this thing improves uh, some of the problems that you expanded earlier? Yeah, no, I think, I think fundamentally, you know, FIDO's challenge has been an account recovery challenge. We've known this for a while. You know, earlier on, I was talking about the benefits of possession-based authentication, which are great and profound. But the question's always been, well, what happens when I lose possession of that possession-based authenticator? What do I do then? And, and I personally think the lost device use case is overblown, but the new device use case is underblown. 
and people add devices to their lives all the time, or you go to like a smart TV or something like that. Like, there you go. So I think cracking that account recovery challenge has, has been a focus area for Fido. And I think that um, this helps solve that. Now, it's not every use case that it solves, but I think it's the uh, the long tail of consumer service use cases are a perfect fit for this. Um, at the end of the day, you know, a multi-device credential is just one signal that a relying party needs to consider. But if you think about, if you step outside the world that, that we live in, which are large technology providers, large service providers with massive technology infrastructure, you can do things like manage risk signals and authentication signals. If you think about the average t-shirt shop or, you know, very basic online merchant or restaurant or whatever it might be, the very long tail, you know, these are companies that are comfortable using social logins, but they're still sitting on passwords or they're using, you know, they need some sort of um, credential to help people recover their accounts. Passkeys will be a far better way, far more secure way for them to actually authenticate consumers. And very significantly, you know, I think part of the challenge we've had as an industry has been getting credentials off the server, right? So you think about the ongoing cycle of credential theft, credential stuffing, credential theft, credential stuffing. That cycle won't end until we break our dependence on credentials, knowledge-based credentials. And so the key, those have been sticking around because of the need for recovery. So eliminating that need allows us to finally start eliminating credentials off the server. So we're very excited about that. Fantastic. Wonderful. Now, taking the developer perspective, is this thing, this multi-device credential, a new type of uh, authenticator? Or are you uh, augmenting and overloading uh, one of the existing ones? I, th- I think ultimately, right, we, we, are, we are in a way simplifying what a developer has to implement, right? Because now something like your phone, the way the protocol works, right, is this is ultimately a platform authenticator and my local machine is a platform authenticator. So now the platform can help figure out where the credential lives and the developer no longer has to request and say, I want a credential from a security key or I want a credential from a platform, right? The platform is now going to help the user. And one of the things that I, I mentioned earlier that we're working on in the spec is how can how can we have that password manager-like experience? So think about a, a username field that now shows these platform credentials or you know from your local machine or from your phone in a little drop-down box that all you have to do is tap and you know do fingerprint or face and you're in, right? So developers no longer have to worry about that distinction anymore of, of where the credential is coming from. So, okay. So what I'm hearing is uh, there's a multi-device credentials are exposed as a platform authenticator, like you're extending the traditional platform. Okay. From the consumer perspective, I think this uh, personally, I believe it's going to be a game changer. So absolutely fantastic. But if I put my in the shoes, if I put myself in the shoes of uh, someone that was relying on the fact that a platform authenticator guaranteed that the device was actually that one particular device, did you hear people concerned about this? Uh, like, uh, how, how would you respond to people saying, "Hey, but I do for the enterprise people, uh, I don't want to lose this uh, ability to say yes, this was this particular device and not any other." Yeah, so so uh, if we if we go back to that sliding spectrum between one and two, right? We think what we've added to the spec and what what all you know vendors are 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 planning on looking at is a one point seven five, right? Which it's still not quite a hardware security key that has a certain set of properties, but it's better it's better than just this key that is synced, right? And so it's called the device public key, right? It's an extension in WebAuthn, and it allows you as a relying party to say. 
hey, I want some extra information if you support it, right? Just, just tell, can you give me a key that is bound just to that device to just let me know that the kind of multi-device credential is coming from a new device, right? So we're, we're seeing this more as a new device signal. Um, you know, we see this super valuable at Microsoft as, as providing the ability for an admin to say, I'll accept a multi-device credential, no problem. But the first time you use it on a new device, we want to do something else to check who you are, right? Just And after that point on that same device, you are good to keep using that credential. And we think that's a nice balance between kind of the, the enterprise heavy security model and the usability and the fact that users are going to be super used to this in their personal life, right? There's this new experience. So we think that's going to be a great balance and it's super flexible. You know, we're still hashing a lot of that out. We we have a lot more, we're coming up on more use cases that this device public key might be able to use. So um, we do believe that we have a, a, a solution. And honestly, at the end of the day, if you still have this very high security need, governments, for example, and FIPS, right? There is a whole solution area for that, which has proven out over the years and it's not going anywhere, which is security, these hardware security keys. That's good. So um, if a relying party wants to know whether the key that is being used is a uh, traditional, uh, let's say, two, uh, two in the spectrum as opposed to one that's seven, they, do they, they have mechanisms for knowing, right? That's what you want. Yeah, there's the... Yeah, there's a there's there's really high level. There's two ways, right? One is kind of the all of the certification work that FIDO does ultimately goes back to a directory called the metadata service. Um, and you, if you're checking attestations today to to validate the authenticator, there will be a difference that you can detect when this change happens. But also for the for the relying parties that aren't doing that, you know that that's a little bit more work to implement. There, we're adding some simplicity at the web authen layer to actually give a flag to the relying party to say, hey, this credential is allowed to be backed up and whether it's currently backed up or not, right? So we, we expect those, we're calling the bits, to essentially allow an RP to drive UI UX to say, hey, you've, you've had a credential that you enrolled two weeks ago that's been backed up for a while now. Maybe it's time to run the user through a UX flow to remove their password, right? That magical remove password thing that that everyone dreams of. And so we hope we're, we're trying to give the, the, the relying party developers as much visibility as possible while still maintaining all the privacy preserving promises of FIDO. Fantastic. So I have to say, I've, uh, I've always been a, a skeptic. Every time I heard people saying this is the year in which uh, we keep passwords, I always thought, okay, that's marketing uh, liking to be hyperbolic. But I, this is the first time in a, uh, many, many years that, uh, of course, it won't be one year because even if uh, the solution would be completely frictionless, it's going to be a while. But I do think this has uh, the potential to truly, like this plus the fact that everyone has a phone which is capable, like, it's fantastic. But now in good tradition, of course, I we, I still find something to be <laughs> unhappy about. So sorry, you have to cope with that. And the, the main question that I want to ask is, uh, this thing relies on uh, popularity. And so uh, this thing will be largely driven by the big ones like uh, Apple, Google, and Microsoft are the ones that give you the devices that have this capability. So it looks like uh, if this thing is successful, which I believe it will be, um, those three companies will now be somehow in the critical path of uh, everything. So do you... What do you think about it? Do you, do, you, do you think that should be any concern, any things that people should do to um, uh, to cope with that? What do you think? So, you know, um, Vittorio, to your point earlier, I think, you know, I often get the question, you know, when are we going to get rid of passwords and when will we be passwordless? 
Um, and it is a journey and not a sprint. Um, and I think more important than password lists is less passwords. You know, ultimately we want, you know, we want to start taking passwords out of the equation. And the fact that these three companies came together within Fido Alliance to collaborate on this, I think is incredibly profound and powerful. Now that I'm not trying to dodge your question. <laughs> um, you know, the fact of the matter is, you know, these companies, um, you know, could they, they have device platforms that the vast majority of people on this planet use. And we talked earlier about the importance of ubiquity, ubiquitous access, and this is the way to get ubiquitous access. So by building it into these devices, um, which are tied often tied to the user's identity, it's a very natural starting point to really address the the authentication process for users that does not require a password. So, you know, is there a trust issue or is, is all the security going there? I mean, it depends on the persona that you're talking about. So from a relying party standpoint, um, again, they don't need to take this as a binary signal. As someone said, there's going to be flagging mechanisms. They see that someone's logging in through a, a, a sync key. They might want to add other data on top of that to you know, authorize the authentication. From a consumer standpoint, what's so funny? My dog. Oh, that's, it's Fido here, right? <laughs> sorry, producers. It is Fido. I'm sorry, it's producers. Yeah, I know. That's Come perfect. On, Otis. No, don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. So, so ultimately, you know, the, the fact that these platforms are supporting multi-device credentials gives greater scale to the promise that, we, that the, the goal we've always had. Um, Fido's goal has been to reduce industry reliance on passwords and building it into platforms are helping make that a reality. Wonderful. Thank you, Andrew. That uh, makes a lot of sense. All right. Before we part ways, and this has been an uh, amazing conversation, and I'm very grateful for you guys to have taken the time to chat with me about this. So clearly that's early days, um, but if you were to make a call for action for the audience, like uh, think that our audience uh, are largely relying party developers and some identity provider. So what would be the call to action? What, what's the way in which we can help to make this a reality? Yeah, I think in the next, you know, I, I think there's already been some buzz, right? We've already heard about this technology a little bit over the past few months. And I think that the point, the, the comment Andrew made is super important, and I know it's a little buzzwordy, but um, it's a, this is a journey, right? We're, we're not going to flip a bit tomorrow, and this is going to be solved. So what we're kind of, what I would ask is this, the next 12 months or so are going to be like a giant dev trial, right? Like we have the, we have all the stuff, it's all coming together. We're working on developer resources. We're, we're working on a very pointed, something we're calling like how to pass key, right? How, how do you, how do you build this very specific use case, which is like, I never want to have a password in the first place, or I want to remove a password and get rid of password plus OTP and all this, right? So very pointed use cases that there's really not a lot of good developer resources, independent developer resources today, right? They're always about this SDK or that, right? So I think the next 12 months, if we can get the industry to play for all intents and purposes and start start testing this stuff and give feedback, right? If you're familiar with the spec world, right? The specs aren't going to be final for a little bit of time. We have time to make tweaks if we need to. That is the goal. And I, I think Apple and Google would agree with me on that, right? This is the time to play. Um, and I think if we do that, realistically, you can quote me, I think in 24 months, we will start to see a significant number of relying parties starting to remove passwords or never accrue them in the first place. We can get there. Fantastic. Andrew, any parting words? No, I think Tim hit it on the head. I mean, the call to action for our freelancing parties is to, you know, learn about this, um, dig into it and give feedback. Um, so we're super excited to have released uh, multi-device credentials and it, talked about it. It's now out in the, in the domain for people to start working with. 
Um, it will be an initial implementation in these platforms. And you know, I would expect like any technology after this to iterate and improve over time. That only happens though with feedback. So whether you bring it in through FIDO Alliance or W3C or directly through these platform companies, please do. Uh, because ultimately this is a, it's a holistic effort. You know, passwords are a universal problem. Um, and it takes everyone to actually commit to getting these credentials off their servers and moving towards a less password future. Fantastic. Amazing. Once again, thank you so much for taking the time to come here and chat about this. We'll uh, publish links uh, and uh, we'll see how that evolves. And who knows, maybe I'll have you over again after some time so that we can uh, see where we landed. So thank you. Thank you, Vitra. And thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Until next time. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Subscribe to our podcast on your favorite app or at identityunlocked.com. Until next time, I'm Vittorio Bertocci, and this is Identity Unlocked. Music for this podcast is composed and performed by Marcelo Wolowski. Identity Unlocked is powered by Of Zero in partnership with the OpenID Foundation and ID Pro.